0: Porque él me vistió, él me vistió con ropas de salvación y me cabrió uh, con el man, manto de la justicia. Soy semejante a un novio de que luce su diamante y a una novia adornada con sus joyas. Porque así como la tierra hace como brotan los retones y el eto hace que germine las semillas. Así el Señor y Dios hará que broten la justicia y la alabanza ante todas las naciones. Por amor, Jesús no guardaré silencio. Por amor, Jesús no desmayare hasta que su justicia reblandezca como la aurera y como antorcha encendida su salvación. Las nuevas verán tu justicia y todos los reyes, tu gloria, recibes un nombre nuevo que el Señor mismo te dará. Serás en la mano del Señor como una corona esplendor, esplendorosa, el Señor como una corona esplendorosa, como una diámena real en la palma de tu Dios. Our New Testament reading found in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 40, which is again found on pages 857 in your New Bibles. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to pursue him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law, first of the Lord, a pair of turtledoves or two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting to, for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And his father and his mother were marveled at what was said about him. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a son that is opposed. And a a sword pierced through your own soul also, so that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribal Asher. She was advancing years, having lived with her husband seven years, and when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own uh, town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you in your holy word, and we ask, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of the message today is, My Eyes Have Seen Your Salvation. You know, when you see or you hear about a dramatic rescue, doesn't it evoke a response? Consider the story of Edward W. Spencer. It was September the 8th of 1860, around 2 a.m. in the morning, when the steamship Lady Elgin collided with the schooner Augusta in the waters of Lake Michigan near Waukegan, Illinois. The steamship was carrying more than 300 passengers that day on a sightseeing tour from Milwaukee to Chicago when on their way back to Milwaukee, the tragedy occurred. The captain of the ship didn't realize the damage the vessel sustained after the collision and he continued to the ship's destination in the dark. The heavy seas would cause the ship to break and most of the crew and passengers died. But there were 17 people who survived due to the efforts of a Northwestern student named Edward W. Spencer. Edward, an experienced swimmer, tied a rope to his body and time after time he swam through the waters to grab exhausted passengers. His associates on the other end of the rope then pulled him and the victim to shore. This went on for six hours. And having reached his limit physically, his body covered with scrapes and bruises, Spencer passed out. He woke up in his room in Evanston and his brother William was watching over him and his first words were, Will, did I do my full duty? Did I do my best? After that night, Edward was never the same. He didn't finish school. The faces and the cries of the victims he could not save haunted him. Newspapers around the nation praised his deeds, but he was not comfortable with the attention. And it would be 50 years before he would return to Evanston to talk about the wreck of the Lady Elgin. After his death, his brother would describe his private torment. His face would turn ashen pale. He would fasten his hungry eyes on me and say, tell me the truth. Did I fail to do my best? And although Spencer is honored with a plaque in the gymnasium of Northwestern University, there there are some sad footnotes to his story. The injuries he sustained were, were so bad that he spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair. And when visited in later years, he would say with tears, not one of those rescued ever came back to say thank you. Now, shouldn't that story of saving others evoke some kind of response in you? Perhaps you feel sympathy for him since not one of the rescued came back to say thank you. Or perhaps you want to provide reasons for their ingratitude. But hearing stories of of rescue evokes a response. So think about the story of the birth of a savior, Jesus Christ. Now that Christmas is, is, has passed, and you know, what kind of response are you to have? Because every year, there's a lot of work and, and festivities leading up to Christmas, but then soon after, the tree comes down, the lights are put away for another year, the trash left behind from all the open gifts is picked up, TV programming goes back to normal, and you go back to the same old job In all the dailiness of living, what does Christ's birth mean now? See, if he's the Savior, what kind of response does his salvation evoke in us? You see, his story of Jesus being presented at the temple has a lot to teach us about responding to the Savior's mission. Post Jesus' birth and his presentation at the temple, we see that the law of Moses is upheld. The expectation of consolation is revealed as the scope of salvation is unveiled. While hearts are no longer concealed and gratitude for redemption is appealed. That's the outline. We're not going to cover it all. (laughs) Just giving you a warning. Or maybe some of you are glad that that's the case. I don't know. But but let's think about this. The law of Moses is upheld. And when the time, the text says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You see, it would be Jesus' mission that is at the forefront of his parents' instruction. They did as the angel had told them in Matthew one twenty one, where the angel said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, and that, that naming of the child happened on the eighth day as Jesus was circumcised. His name was his mission. But they would also take him and present him to the Lord. They were following the law of the Lord. Exodus 13:2 says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Exodus 13, 12 reiterates it. As it says, You shall set apart to the Lord all the first that, opens, that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. You see, Jesus is the the firstborn of Mary, thus he is holy, he's offered to the Lord. And this too fulfills what the angel told him, what what told her in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You see, what Joseph and Mary are doing is ensuring that the Savior becomes just who God has called him to be. The one who fulfills the law of Moses. By being circumcised, he takes on our sin. By offering the sacrifice of two pigeons, that's an indication of their economic status, they consecrated their son to the Lord with a sin offering and a burnt offering. And so it behooves the baby Jesus, to fulfill all righteousness. See, they were raising their firstborn son, the Son of God, to fulfill the mission for which God had sent him. And his mission is to save his people from their sins. What are their sins? They didn't keep the law of the Lord. The son had to fulfill the law. He would become, for all who believe, their sacrifice. He would become their righteousness. He would become their holiness. He would be their substitute. He would become their temple. See, this means that, that the nations, Their realization of failing at obeying the law, their consolation has appeared at the temple that day in the form of a month old baby. So it's been forty days. Forty days was the, was the purification for a, a male that it, it was to take place. If it was a woman, it was twice that. But if it had been a little girl, it'd been twice that. But but for uh, the little boy, it was it was forty it was forty days. So it's it's just a little over a month old. But here it is, the expectation of consolation is revealed. Look at verses 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now wouldn't it be nice if you knew your death day? Okay, some of y'all aren't really glad about that. But you don't really like to think about death. But, yeah, yeah. If you knew what day it was going to be, wouldn't you, you would change a whole lot of things, wouldn't you? Hey, see, Simeon had this experience. He's seeing the baby Jesus come in with his parents, he knew his time was now up. Now, we don't know much about Simeon. His name's a common name in Israel, but he was obviously some sort of watcher. He was a rabbi who, who knew the scripture, and we know this because Luke uses word, uses a word describing what Simeon was looking for. And what he was a word, and it's a word that was familiar. It was a familiar word that the, the Isaiah the prophet used to talk about the Lord's servant. In the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, that word is the, is the word that he uses here for consolation. And it's often in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, it was translated as comfort like Isaiah 61, 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance for our, of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Or Isaiah 66, 13, as one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. That's that word consul- that's translated consolation here in uh, Luke chapter 2. But Simeon sees that baby, that baby Jesus is that consolation. Periclesis. It's and it's similar to the name that Christ gave the Holy Spirit, the comforter, Pericleo. So this consolation that the Messiah is to bring is what our Old Testament reading gave to us. It's the garments of salvation. It's a robe of righteousness. It's righteousness that sprouting caused by the Lord. It's Isaiah 62, 1, where it declares the determination of the Lord in accomplishing this. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. See, the consolation is the restoration and rebuilding of the nation and of God's people, all of God's people. And Simeon saw the baby Jesus and knew it was now time for him to die. See, but this consolation is bigger than what many anticipated because in Simeon's song, the scope of salvation is unveiled. Israel. You see, verses 29 through 32 is Simeon's swan song. Yeah, so in the in Latin it has the title Nunc dimittis, you know, now master. Simeon sings when he holds the baby Messiah in his arm. Simeon is content to die now that his eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. And isn't that the case when you place your faith in Christ? Yeah, you're, you're ready to die. Yeah, you're not ready to die if you don't know, if you haven't seen the Lord's salvation. You see, up till now, Mary, Joseph, Zachariah, Elizabeth, the shepherds, they were the ones who knew who the baby Jesus really was. But now it looks like the Lord is letting the secret out. You know, Simeon, yeah, he had been a watchman on the lookout for the Lord's Christ. And now he's ready to die with the song on his lips, but what is he singing? He's singing a song of the salvation that the Lord has prepared. It's a song that is light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to Israel. He's singing a song of salvation that includes both Jew and Gentile. Now this was bound to cause problems. See, Simeon saw that this salvation wasn't just about him. It wasn't individualistic. He's saying that it was it wasn't just for Israel. He's saying that it's a salvation that is prepared for all peoples. Salvation for all ethnicities. This was his song. He was getting something started. See, see, now you might ask, well, how, how could he look at a baby? and conclude that the peace of the entire world is invested in this baby. See, he saw, he saw that, that, that it isn't the hand that rocks the cradle that rules the world, but it's his cradle that rocks the cosmos and rules everything. Oh, y'all, don't, y'all aren't with me on that. But I won't say it again. But think about it. Because you might ask, how? Well, see, the Holy Spirit, God revealed it to him. See, that's how Joseph knew. It's how Mary knew. It's how the shepherds knew. It's how anyone who comes to faith in Christ knows he is their salvation and the peace that the world and all humanity is looking for. God reveals it to them. And even though this salvation is prepared in the presence of all the peoples, all the peoples won't believe. See, unbelief will cause problems, especially, especially by adding that Jesus is the Messiah for the Gentiles too. You see, Simeon's song is, is causing problems. I like uh, the pulpit commentary. It postulates this. So this is a commentary that's from the, from the 19th century. And I like old books. So, and he, here, here's, what the, here's what the commentator postulates. He says, strangely enough, the, the Mishnah, which preserves a record of the sayings and works of the great rabbis, passes by this Simeon. The curious silence of the Mishnah here was, perhaps, owing to the hatred which this famous teacher incurred because of his belief in Jesus of Nazareth. Now, perhaps the commentator's right. But it certainly sets up, uh, it sets up for what Simeon says next as he talks about hearts no longer being concealed. Uh, but uh, we'll have to wait for that one uh, for another day. But uh, I do want to say this, though. You know, as you're looking at a great salvation, we have that here and in the table of our Lord. You know, we we have here before us is a beautiful act of salvation that's demonstrated. Here, your eyes are seeing the Lord's salvation. The question is, though, will you be like those folks that Edward W. Spencer rescued? You see, the table of our Lord is called the great Eucharist, the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving What you want to do is you want to take it, make it your appeal of gratitude for the redemption that Christ has wrought. See, the Lord's Supper shows that Christ is everything we need. So friends, brothers, sisters, come to the table and with faith and thanksgiving, rest in the rescue that Christ has provided. Because when you see the Lord's salvation, it ought to evoke a response in you.